This is the Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. Good afternoon. This is Madam Adams, Cindy Adams from the New York Post. You can read me, and you'd better, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And by the way, I have to thank you for your letters. I've been getting a lot of letters from you all. They don't all start, dear stupid. Some of them are quite quite nice. Thanks a lot. Now I want to tell you about something I did this week. I did it with His Eminence, Cardinal Dolan. Cardinal Dolan did his annual holiday blessing of the animals, not our two-legged kind, the four-legged ones that are on Radio City's yearly Christmas show. Our music hall is one of a kind. You should know if you've never been there. But the Cardinal is also one of a kind. We're blessed to have both. So, he and I stood on the street, right in front, 6th Avenue, the weather cold. Humphrey, the camel, was 1,800 pounds and wasn't looking for any loge seat. He wasn't even shivering. His trainer said, Humphrey is used to the desert, which gets cold at night. Oh, that's so nice to know about Humphrey. Grazing the ceiling, Humphrey just stood there chewing his cud. He, you couldn't really ask him, so, so listen, hun, what do you hear from the Sahara? The trainer said, he's a little nervous today because he's not used to being out front. Oh, okay. There were two sheep to our right, and there was an ass, pardon the expression, to our left. I don't know if you call him a donkey. I called him an ass. And he was because he stepped on my foot. The cardinal petted what was pettable. He posed for photos. He interviewed skimpily dressed rockets. He blessed them all. Once, a couple of years ago, because we do this every November, once looming alongside was another camel a couple of years ago, maybe Humphrey's cousin, who stood right behind his eminence, and he ate Timothy Cardinal Dolan's beret. This year, the cardinal wore an official red hat. The damn camel stayed away. Our eminence is coming in to the Radio City Music Hall show with his sister Lisa's family, a family of 10. They're coming in to visit. I am coming with them. Then they're going to rock rink, Thanksgiving parade with his eminence and they're going to see Radio City's Christmas show and they will see Humphrey and then praise the Lord it's back home to you ready Washington Missouri and if you know where the hell that is lots of luck you know the thought has come to me that our government problems might be that Kamala thinks the border is the hem on her dress. Now, I want to tell you something else that came to me this week. Our former ambassador to Hungary, his name is David Kornstein, he gave me this little story about a fly that falls into a cup of coffee. He says, the Italian breaks the cup. He throws it out. He walks off angrily. The German sterilizes the cup, and he makes fresh coffee. The Frenchman removes the fly, and he drinks the whole cup of coffee. The Chinese 
eats the damn fly and throws out all the coffee. The Russian drinks the coffee with the fly since there was no extra charge for it. The Israeli sells the coffee to the Frenchman, sells the fly to the Chinese, sells the cup to the Italian. Then he invents a device to prevent flies from falling into the coffee. We go on. The Palestinian, what does he do? He blames the Israeli for the fly. He protests such aggression to the UN. He takes a loan from the European Union to buy more coffee. He uses the money to buy explosives. Then he blows up the coffee house where the Italian, the Frenchman, the Chinese, the German, and the government, and the Russian are still trying to sell the Israeli to give his cup of coffee to the Palestinians. So there will be peace. That's what the Hungarian ambassador sent me. Why should I have that alone? I thought I would share it with you. Now, we're coming up to Thanksgiving. We're coming up to Christmas. We're coming up to New Year's. And forget eat out or take out. New York City is a restaurant town. And let me tell you what just happened to me. Okay, New York, we have best bagels, best steak, best cheesecake, best pizza, best pastrami on rye, best sidewalk pretzels. So, eight hours sleeping, eight working, and what's left after finagling the books before the IRS sees them is spent eating at a New York restaurant. The last human to braise at home was a caveman. Worry a New Yorker, his lunch snack would probably be a dinosaur on rye and hold the mayo. Listen, I had somebody visit me from out of town. I explained to her we got French, Spanish, Turkish, Thai, Afghan, best bar stools indoors, tables outdoors. Outside you're hit by a bus, inside you're hit by a tab. We have drugstores that are shut down and are still sell selling week old sandwiches. Only the robbers are taking the other stuff, not the stale sandwiches. Now, so one out-of-towner came to me, and I said, what do you want, Japanese, Chinese, Mexican? She said, no, no, no. I said, Indian? She said, no. Korean? Uh-uh, not sure. Greek? She settled on French. Now, this has to do with me. The place was busy, but they managed to get me a front table. She said, she was a visitor from out of town, and she said, I don't want that. It's by the door. There's a draft. Okay, finally we got seated indoors. My guest then whispered to me, Cindy, turn around. Remember that famous British model of a few years ago? Her name was Twiggy. She is sitting two tables back. Me not to miss a a, a quickie interview. I ran over to get a quote. I plied Twiggy with brilliant questions. She was polite. She didn't say much, but she smiled a lot. I gushed how gorgeous she was. I said how I envied her figure. I burbled on, etc., etc., and blah, blah. I was so complimentary that even I didn't believe me. One day later, the restaurant manager called to explain why she might have found my behavior odd. My Twiggy had been Goldie Horn. 
Ay, what can I tell you? Things are always happening to me that are not so good. Now I want to tell you that there has always been peaceful transfer of power after an election. We are coming up to elections. 1860 was the first Republican ever elected. Lincoln's opponent, his name was Breckinridge, he had to count the electoral vote and proclaim Lincoln the winner. If the government goes through a shutdown, all will blame Biden. It will affect our economy, pocketbooks, and military preparedness. Also, if Congress stops aid to the Ukraine, if Russia succeeds, it will join with China and Iran in World War III to totally eliminate America's hegemony. Could be why Putin criticizes our Justice Department for picking on Trump. Progressive Democrats and Democrat Socialists can be an ongoing threat to the United States of America. Establishment de Democrats and Establishment Republicans, although they've shifted positions on issues, they have kept this nation as the greatest on earth. I just want to tell you, Thanksgiving is coming. In my home, we are not having turkey. We've still got some leftovers from last year. Kids, I have two people I am going to be introducing and talking to today. One is a rocket, and we all know about rockets at Christmas time at the Radio City Music Hall pageant. And the other is Jim McGreevy, who used to be governor of New Jersey and, as we speak, is running to be mayor of Jersey City in New Jersey. I'm going to speak to them in two seconds, right after I take two more seconds for a station break. And then I'm going to be back. Wait with me. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All the dish that's fit to air. Cindy Adams is on 77 WABC. I am now about to speak to Miss Megan Levinson. She is a rockette, and her kicks are as high as an elephant's eye. Her behind, thankfully, is much smaller than mine, and you will love listening to her. Okay, so Megan, start from the beginning. Where are you from? I am from New Jersey, North Caldwell, New Jersey, so right outside of Manhattan. Oh, I know where New Jersey is. Thank you very much. <laughs> so when did you start to dance? I started dancing very young. I would say my mom put me in dance class when I was about three years old. 
uh, I considered my first dance class around seven, though, because that's really when I started training. Um, and what was so cool was that we lived so close to the city. So every year my family would go into New York City to see the Christmas Spectacular. And when I was young, I was really in awe of Clara in the Nutcracker scene of the Christmas Spectacular because I could relate to her. She was my age. So I told my mom when I got my point shoes, I wanted to audition for Clara. And she brought me to the audition when I was 11 years old and I was cast as Clara. And that's truly when the switch flipped, when I realized that dance was a part of my soul and something that I wanted to do professionally, especially seeing the Rockettes. You started dancing at 11, 11 years old professionally? Yes, that was my first professional contract. What kind of dancing? So in the Christmas Spectacular, there's a Clara girl in the Nutcracker scene. It's ballet. And she dances on point with teddy bears. And that was what I did for my first live performance. So you you mean you have been at Radio City Music Hall for, I'm not going to ask your age, but how long have you, you've been at Radio City Music Hall for years and years and years? Yeah, it, it truly is. You know, I, I performed as Clara in 2001, and then I came back as a Rockette in 2010. So it really was this full circle moment of fulfilling a lifelong dream. And I think in between the time of Clara and becoming a Rockette, it really represented the years of hard work, sacrifice, and determination that was required to fulfill this dream of mine. Did you ever know another Rockette before? I knew the Rockettes that I performed with when I was Clara, but I didn't have a dance teacher or anything that was a Rockette. But truly the Rockettes that were performing when I was Clara made such an impact on me. And I used the memories that I had from seeing the Rockettes up close and personal as my motivation to continue pursuing my dream. What's a tryout? Somebody like, not un unlike you, who's, who's been dancing since a child, what is somebody who's not like that, wants to try out to be a Rockette? What do they have to do to try out? So you have to be at least 18 years old, and you have to be between 5'5 five five and 5'10 and a half, and you have to be proficient in jazz, tap, and ballet. It is a very, very difficult job. Um, it's technical. It's a hard rehearsal schedule. It's a hard performance schedule. So you really do need to have that solid training. And I would say, you know, ballet should be your foundation. So you have that foundational technique, but you also need to be a very versatile dancer. Okay. So if it's very hard and it's a lot of work, tell me when, how is it hard? What time do you start? How many times do you rehearse? Tell me what it's like to begin. So we rehearse six hours a day, six days a week. And then once we are in our show schedule, we have about 17 shows a week. And then on top of that, we have rehearsals for things like the Thanksgiving Day Parade and the tree lighting and other special performances that we do. So, you know, once we are in shows, we are truly dancing basically all day. Don't you get a little tired? <laughs> I definitely would say I get tired, but what's so great is that we're all in this together, the entire cast, the entire crew, everyone is working that much. So we do things to lift each other up, keep the energy up. Um, on four show days, we always do like a fun game backstage on a four show day. So, you know, and we're also, we're living our dream. You know, I'm 
looking out into the audience, seeing faces of audience members, kids, um, seeing the joy on their face. And it, it, can do a, it can do a lot for when you're tired and to bring up your energy levels. What are the games you play backstage to keep yourselves alive and up? One of my favorite games is uh, it's called the chestnut game. And just like little chestnuts, you know, like the chestnuts that are sold on the corner, um, our dance captain will print them out on pieces of paper and just hide them different places backstage. And of course, it can never interfere with anything that we do on stage. But when we're changing or in between scenes, we try and find these little hidden chestnuts and whatever dressing room collects the most chestnuts wins the game. (laughs) Do you get to eat the stupid things at least? (laughs) (laughs) No, they're printed out on pieces of paper, so I definitely don't eat those chestnuts. (laughs) Okay. Uh, 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 What age can you begin or end as a a rockette? So you have to be at least 18 years old, and there is no age limit. If you can continue kicking and and meeting the requirements that um, are needed to, you know, do the show schedule and get your kicks up, you can continue doing this job for as long as you want. Oh, come on. I mean, somebody at 75 is not going to be doing a kick. So, I mean, they, they, you throw them the hell out when? At 50? At what? <laughs> well, we have to re-audition every single year. So, you know, when you're not able to maybe fulfill what is asked of you in the audition, that might be the time when you move on to something else. What height or weight are you? So, I am 5'7". Um, I'm one of, like, you know, the mid-range height, um, weight, everyone is a different body. Each one of us is unique in our own way. Um, and something that's really cool is that even though I obviously my height hasn't changed since I've been hired as a rocket, I've stood anywhere from three to the end. And this year I'm standing 10 in. So we put the shorter ladies on the end and then the tallest ladies in the center. So just depending on the year and the different heights, in the line, you can have a completely different spot in the line. Have you ever, has anyone ever screwed up on stage? Don't tell me no. I'll kill myself if you tell me no. (laughs) Don't tell me. Tell me about somebody who's screwed up on stage. Well, we're human. So, you know, we're not robots. So obviously things do happen. Um, But a part of being a professional dancer is that you don't let the mistake be seen. So something can happen, whether it's, I don't know, your shoe strap breaks, but you keep going, you run off the stage when that number's done, and then you fix it, and you come back on stage as if nothing ever happened. That's the only thing that the shoe fell off? And there's <laughs> nothing else? Somebody's leg fell down? Nothing Nothing ever happened on stage? I mean, for me, the, the ones that stick out in my mind is when my, my shoe buckle breaks because we want those things nice and tight on our feet. Um, but again, yeah, it is a live performance. Those things do happen, but the audience doesn't see it. So we then don't talk about it. Oh, that's it. So you're keeping your mouth shut. <laughs> I understand. Who do I have to talk to Santa Claus to find this out? Maybe, maybe, but I'm telling you, we are so well rehearsed that, uh, choreographing mistakes rarely, rarely, rarely ever happen. We, like I said, we rehearse six hours a day, six days a week. So the choreography becomes muscle memory. It's in our, it's like in our bones almost. You mean you still, even though you're performing, still have rehearsals? For, yeah, for special events. Yeah. So sometimes we will have three shows um, in one day. We have up to four shows, but you know, some years we'll have a three to four hour rehearsal and then I'll go and do three shows that day. 
Well, what do you do to relax, honey? What do you do for your, those long, gorgeous legs to relax? What do you do? Do you put them up? Do you, do you, what do you do? Get massages? Yeah, massages. We have an incredible athletic training team that helps take care of our body. So usually I'll visit athletic training, do some icing. I have a like a little uh, rollout machine that I do every single night before I go to bed. So it's really important that we do take care of our body. But I also like to feel well balanced. So I'll make sure that I go out to dinner with friends. You know, if I don't have a show until later, I'll schedule lunch with a friend. I like to make sure that I have some type of balance with my show schedule, but also my life outside. So I'm not one to ask about your personal life, but you take a machine to bed with you? What What is that? <laughs> I don't bring it in bed with me, but it's called a Theragun, and it basically, um, it's, I don't even know the technical, what it's doing, but it's basically just working out any of that, the tight muscles um, in your leg, and you just kind of hold it, and it massages your leg, and it's, it really is life-changing. <laughs> Yeah, well, listen, I'm not asking about your sex life, but I'm not sure I could do even your dancing life. What is worst? What is the lousiest part of being a rockhead? If you tell me it's all so wonderful, I'm going to kill myself. What's it like? Is there any bad part about being a rockhead? There truly isn't. I would say there are challenging parts, and the challenging parts are just keeping up with the demanding schedule and making sure that you're taking care of your body. And I would say that's the most challenging part. But again, like because this is our family and because now this is, this is like what I'm so used to. I've been doing this for 14 years now. Um, I've really learned like how to take care of my body so that it seems a little less challenging uh, maintaining such a, such a rigorous schedule. What do you do to take care of your body? So I, I really take advantage of the incredible athletic training team we have. Um, they have ice baths after every single show. So you literally sit in a tub of ice, and um, that is huge at making sure that any inflammation or just any of those muscles that might be overworked and tired are uh, taken care of. We have um, uh, physical therapists who come in, so if there's something that they need to be taken care of immediately. But I usually am big about the ice baths and um, doing my stretches on my own. Then you have to get all dressed again from, from scratch. If, you, if, you, if you're in an ice pack and an ice tub, don't you have to re get dressed again? Yeah, so you only do the ice bath at the end of the day. So you never do it in between performances. If I am feeling something that is hurting me, I'll maybe take just an ice bag and ice that area and then reheat it before the show. But the ice tub is only for after after the performances before you go home. Okay, so as a high-class rocket, have you ever screwed up? Ever? <laughs> I mean, things happen, yes. I definitely probably have had an early arm or an early head here or there. But something that is so important, I think in all aspects of life, is like you have to let go of mistakes. So if a mistake happens, I move on. And like then I have to stay present in that performance. If I continue to think about something that didn't go right, another mistake will happen. So it's really important that you let go of it and you don't just like continue to think about it because that's, you have to be confident to be a dancer. We're performing for 6,000 people. So if I'm constantly thinking about a mistake that I've once made, that's not going to help set me up to have my best performance. What about nerves? What about fright? What do you eat beforehand? How do you manage food? You can't have a big fat sandwich before you go on and do some leaps and frogs and things like that. What do you, what do you eat? 
So for nerves, I would say I always try and tell myself when I feel nervous, that means that I'm excited and that I'm ready because the body reacts to feeling nervous the same exact way as to when you're excited. So that's what I always tell myself. Um, and in terms of food, like I, I figured out what works well for me before a show and what doesn't. So I usually stick to something like a bagel with butter, peanut butter jelly sandwich. I don't eat like a salad or anything. I don't know. That's, I don't know, greens. I usually stick to like more carbs and stuff before the performance. And then when I get home at night, I'll have a nice big salad or something. So in between, do you exercise or rehearse in between six shows a day and rehearsal and practicing and icing and all the rest of it? Do you do you do do you rehearse in between? So in between, I just stick to the show and any extra rehearsals that we have for the Christmas Spectacular in particular. But in the off season, I do a ton of training um, outside of just my dance classes. So I take a lot of hit workout classes, which is high interval intensity training. So it's a lot of, you know, like weight training along with that cardiovascular training. Um, And I usually do that at least six days a week in the off season. What did the Cardinals say to you? Oh, so I, I've actually never met him. I've never done um, that PR event, but we are so um, grateful that every single year he does come and blesses the animal that is, animals that are part of a nativity scene. We were there. We were there. We were there. We're there every November and at eight o'clock in the morning. And one year, the camel standing behind the cardinal, I was with him at the time, <laughs> ate, ate his beretta or whatever you call the hat, stood behind him and chewed up the beret. And that was the Cardinal. Anyway, thank you, thank you, thank you, Megan. And I will be there with the Cardinal and his family on November, I forgot what, 11th or 21 or whatever it is. I'm there watching the show. So don't make any mistakes. I I will mark it on my calendar, too, and I hope I get to meet you. Thank you, lovey. Thanks for coming. Bye. Of course. Have a good one. A name you know who's in the know. It's the Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. My friend Jim McGreevy, former governor of New Jersey and my longtime forever friend, tell me what is needed to run for politics instead of opening a grocery store. Why? What's the great need to be in politics? I think, you know, Sin, the great need is to understand where people are at, their day-to-day concerns. A lot of it's still pocketbook issues, making sure that a community is affordable, um, controlling property taxes, making sure there are safe and clean streets. I think all of this is important. And also education. People are concerned that their children have the skills necessary to compete for future generations. So I think it's back to basics. Uh, making government work, uh, making sure streets and communities are safe, and making sure we're prepared for the future. Okay, I understand that, and your phraseology is excellent, but that is not what's happening. We're not having safe streets. We're not having government run properly. We're having a lot of bad things happening. So why are people like you, whom I love to pieces, wanting to do this instead of selling ties or some damn thing in a department store. I don't understand the need to do this. 
I, by the way, I sold ties going through college. Oh, and uh, yeah. I, actually, I don't know how good I was at it. I, 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 for whatever reason, I didn't have the, I, I didn't have the, the right gene. But, um, you know, I, I think what it is is that if we look, you know, the, we get the government we deserve. And so for my generation, whether it was John Kennedy or whomever, it was about thinking that, we wanted the next generation to be stronger than us. And I think that's what my parents taught me, and that's how their grandparents viewed the nation. And so it's about building stronger communities, working with the business community, making sure we have safe and clean streets, and doing government well and making it work. The point is, and this is not to harass you, I'm going to go on to 8 million other questions, but you're my friend. So I'm entitled to ask you, the idea is wonderful, it's idealistic, but it's not working. We're not finding this statewide, citywide, or countrywide. Why is that? Well, I think so much sense, so much of, of government today is, is a reflection of our media, is a reflection of our society, you know, the, the virtual society. So I remember a time when I was a young lawyer working with Republicans and Democrats, and it sounds simple, but people would go out to dinner together, their families, they would spend picnics in summer together. It was about getting the job done. And, and yes, there were campaigns, and you would campaign hard, and you would take shots across the aisle. But at the end of the day, you understood you wanted to make America stronger. You wanted a good road network. Uh, you wanted there to be affordability, the, 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 you know, the, the VA, Veterans Administration. And there's so many different programs that were bipartisan. And I think today, you know, not, not to take a shot at social media, but it's, it's difficult. I mean, people are polarized. And I think we have to get back to understanding the importance that we're one country, one people, and we all share a rise with each other. Okay, but you went after you were governor. You went from hot water to holy water. You were only... <laughs> ah, send it. <laughs> only you could come up with these lines. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I'm just so happy to talk to you. But you, you almost went into the faith, and, and, and you were working for prisoners. Tell me about that. I thought that was a wonderful thing that you were doing. I didn't quite understand what it was, but I love you. Yeah, me- no, and I still do it every day of my life. I, I do it today. What I do you do? Do what? What are you doing? Well, so that, you know, we have 20,000 clients, 20,000 persons um, that are coming out of jail. They come out of prison. They come out of addiction treatment. And candidly, a lot of veterans, one out of every three veterans. And this country is court involved. And by that, it means that they're somehow tied into the justice system because of all of the trauma, Cindy, that they faced in the war. You know, multiple deployments again and again and again in Afghanistan. So traumatic. And also the type of weaponry, the sophistication of the weaponry, seeing their buddies killed. And so what we do is we help people connect them to addiction services to mental health services, get them their ID, get them their driver's license, connect them to structured sober housing. And then after grappling with mental health issues and addiction issues, if they can, 
than workforce training and a job. But the important thing is, is to understand that we all need a second chance. And that's the focus of the New Jersey Reentry Corporation, is to drive second chances and opportunities. Whether it's that veteran coming back from Afghanistan or somebody returning from state prison or somebody coming from an addiction treatment center, they need help for that second chance. Okay. I know I know you're going to be running for mayor of Jersey City. We're going to get to that in a minute. But to jump off of what you've said, I understand all that you're telling me. It sounds magnificent, and you're quite right. But there are also scum and lousy people and thieves and sex maniacs, and they're getting out of jail, too. Are you helping those people? Well, no. You know, the... That you raise a good point. There are some people that should be in prison for the rest of their lives, right? Yeah. But the sad, re- the, you know, the crazy thing is, is almost everybody's released. And so, what we need is a system that can discriminate between those individuals that are malevolent, that are permanent offenders, violent offenders, and will always be violent offenders. Those individuals clearly should not be released or paroled into general society. But that's profoundly different than the young man who is caught up in a drug problem, has addiction, and maybe is grappling with family issues. That person, whether it's through mental health, particularly addiction treatment. I mean, even if you have, you're suffering from heroin abuse or you're taking fentanyl, today with Suboxone, with medication-assisted treatment, you can help people get off of addiction. So, Cindy, I think it's understanding the qualitative difference between those individuals who clearly are engaging in violent behavior and who will always engage in violent maladaptive behavior and a young addict who candidly deserves a second chance. Okay. I've listened to you. I can't listen to it anymore. I believe in you. I don't believe in any other thing that you're saying. So let me go on further because I adore you. Can you tell me why are you now running for New Jersey mayor? Are you going to do about New Jersey? Well, I mean, I think Jersey City is a. I know I, Jersey City is a great city, and I know that. But I think the goal is is to make it one city. And so we have this great development downtown, but it's to bring all of Jersey City into like a healthy, good direction. It's candidly, some of it, Cindy, is cleaning up the streets, getting garbage off the streets, um, cleaning up the streets, paving the streets properly. Some of it is these crazy motorbikes, people driving around without licenses, cutting across multiple lanes, um, and it's also improving the quality of education. I mean, we, we need to make sure that a young person, regardless of where their upbringing is, that they can read, that they can be, they can be competitive in the marketplace. You know, third-grade literacy is so important, and that's why we have to get back to basics. It's reading, reading, and reading. And if a child can't read at third grade, Cindy, they're probably never going to be age literate because in fourth grade they're going to have more science more history more math and more english and they need reading for all of it and that's why we've got to get back to basics third grade literacy and to improve the chances the opportunities 
for young people to compete in the job marketplace. Okay, Jim, I have a friend. She has a 15-year-old son. The 15-year-old son is, of course, in school. And he gave her a letter to read. And she said, well, why don't you read it? And he said, because I don't know how to read cursive. This is a 15-year-old boy in school. You tell me how this is possible, and it's happening in your state as well. And the 15-year-old boy was un- unable to read cursive? Yes. Uh, yes. I mean, that's so, a problem, right? Yes. So I mean, what it's just like, what are you going we were to... raised on cursive. What are you going to do? Somebody like you, what are you going to do about things no, like that? No, but it's just like it's going back to basics. And going back to basics, it's reading, writing, and arithmetic. And it's also understanding that not everybody's going to go on to college and making sure we have good apprenticeship training programs. But for me, it's in third grade. It's focusing on the basics, more time for reading, more time for writing, more time for mathematics, and making sure we do the basics well. So at the end of the day, that young person, like by 15 years old, Sin, it's too late. It's game over. Because we're already talking, we're moving that person into past primary school, past middle school, into high school. That's why we have to focus on the basics early on. Okay, unless I'm wrong, and it's rare that I could be wrong, my friend, ever, but you are now running for New... No, I don't think that's ever happened. Oh, shut up. You are now running for New Jersey mayor. Am I incorrect? Were you not No, once... yeah, I'm running for Jersey City mayor, yes. Weren't you once bound, bounced by the New Jersey mayor for something? Didn't he get no, mad at bounced, you? I was, no, I was governor of New Jersey and I resigned. Yeah, no, no, I know, no, I know that. I thought there was something with the New Jersey mayor. I, oh, I no, I, I, yeah, no, no, I had a, a little kerfuffle with the present mayor, yes. Oh, okay. So I remembered and you didn't? No, you remembered well. <laughs> you remembered well. I actually did. We did have a spat, but we got over it. Okay. I remember coming to your house when you were governor. Two huge, giant police dogs were guarding yes. your home. They're, they're not with us anymore? No, they're not with us. They've you, gone to the... They've gone to the... Great to kennel the great, in the sky? The kennel in the sky. But yeah. they were great dogs. Do you have others now? Pardon? Do you have other dogs now? No, no, we have. Unfortunately, Jacqueline has. I mean, I love, I love my dog, but Jacqueline likes cats, so I have two cats. So, okay, back in the old days, when you when you left the governorship, it was because of the being a the the gay American. Look how things have changed now. Today, it's more important if you are gay. How is this possible? What is happening in our world? Well, you know, you know, obviously there were always gay persons since the beginning of time, and so I, I think is, and and in different times in human history, there were very different views: the ancient Greeks, the ancient Romans, and so I, I just believe that that. You know, we are all different, How, whoever we are, however we look um, and whoever we love. And that that's provided it's healthy and it's respectful. That's, you know, that's a good thing. 
Tell me about your family now. Your wife, uh, formerly no, my, wife, and, and your daughter, Jacqueline? Yeah, no, no. My older daughter is a lawyer, and she's getting married in June. And Jacqueline is a senior at Barnard College. And uh, she'll be looking for a job, so she'll be knocking on Cindy Adams' door in a, <laughs> no short order. She'll be Cindy Adams' assistant for the post. Okay, okay. Tell me. And tell you me know a- Jacqueline, and you love Jacqueline. I loved your whole family. I loved you. I loved when you were governor. I loved everything about it. That's what oh, I loved. Thank you, Zen. Would you ever and let run? Me just say could- that, and, and your memory is unbelievably sharp, and and I'm just grateful for your friendship and your and your wicked wit. I just think everyone should know you can ha- have. No one can have more fun than by sitting next to Cindy Adams at a cocktail party or at a dinner. Listen, I can't believe how the world has changed, how now it's in, it's chic, it's it's wonderful to have a gay politician. We have this idiot in, in Long Island. What's his name? What's his name? Santos. How is it possible he could have been seated when he's been lying? Tell me what is happening to our politicians today am i the only one that thinks everybody is nuts no, but me but i you know since the beginning of time probably in the ancient greece and ancient rome and and all the great civilizations since the beginning of time there were always politicians whether they were appointed whether they were elected who you know you've always had all sorts and so i think Humans haven't changed all that profoundly. So I think that's part of the status quo. But the goal is is select the best, select people that are doing it for the right reasons, who have a sense of mission and purpose. And, you know, I, I think things change. And so people show their stripes, show what they're about or what they want to do. And I give the public the credit. Um, people can make mistakes, but... People. Oh, Jim, you're so full of saccharin that I'm getting diabetes listening to you. I mean, really. <laughs> no, but what I'm saying is, like, you know, if the public feels that, you know, Congressman X or Congressman Y, whether she or he is not right, they'll vote them out. You did. Did you not do a gay version of politics with with Joan Rivers once? Or am I losing my mind? Didn't no, you no, do... you're right. You're right. What did, what did oh, you do? God, that was like. That was 20 years ago. Well, I just remembered it. What what yes. was that? Oh, you've got a great memory. What 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 was that? Uh, I like I I don't know, it's something that I was on with Joan, but I I actually forget the particulars. Do you remember the particulars about a book you wrote? You wrote, wrote yes. a book. Did it yes, do well? What was it? Tell us. No, the confession was a book and um with Judith Regan and and, and the publisher up, and it was a book just talking about, you know, my life in government, but also the importance of truth telling and, and at the time just sort of grappling with, you know, coming true and open with your identity then for, for me as, as a gay American. Okay. The gay American now, it's time to take me to dinner. So I have to tell you that the next time I see you, it better be across a plate. 
I no, love you. No, it'll definitely be across the plate with Rick and Francine. <laughs> but like, I, I'm not. I I don't. I'm not at your status. I'm. I'm. You know. I'm. I'm. I'm like at the diner status. Okay. Okay. Poor soul. I'll do. I'll donate to your to your new New Jersey efforts. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love okay. you. Thank you, baby. Thanks, Thanks honey. Thanks, Cindy. Thank you, and take good care. Okay, honey. And Bye. I'll see you in the post. You certainly will. Thank you, sweetie. Bye. Take care. Love you. Bye-bye. Goodbye, and thank you for listening. And please tune me in again next Sunday at 2 o'clock, where when I tell you this, you can believe me. I'll even be better. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.